Yes. Amen. That's what I'm talking about. In fact, that is what I'm talking about. Please open your Bibles to Acts chapter 27. So. (laughs) How's it going? How's it going, my friends, on this long, hard road called Christianity? I wondered, as I jotted that question down this week, I wondered, I wondered to myself, I, I wonder if any preacher has ever opened a sermon with that question. Well, one just did. How's it going? on um, the long, hard road of Christianity. Anything, um, anything unexpected happened this past week? Anything hard? Or maybe I should ask so far this morning. <laughs> But like Paul, we're expecting the unexpected now, yes? Right about now, if you missed last week, or if you're visiting for the first time, you're thinking, what is he talking about? We've been learning, we've been learning from the Apostle Paul in the book of Acts, how once we accept Jesus as our Lord and Savior, How is it that we finish well our commitment to Christ? Just like Paul is is finishing well in Acts, his life and ministry. You see on the screen what, what we've covered so far. We finish well when, like Paul, we strive to keep our conscience clear before God and man. We trust in God above all. We focus not only on the crucifixion, but the resurrection of the body which began with Jesus and one day will end with everyone in this room. And we finish well when we expect the unexpected. It's where we left off last week. When we expect the unexpected hardships will come not only despite our following Jesus, but also even especially because we take up our cross and follow Jesus. Last week we discovered that, frankly, God loves us so much that He warns us repeatedly. I picture with tears running down His face on His knees, warning us repeatedly in His Word that life is going to be hard when we proclaim and live out Jesus is Lord. Really, indeed, what a loving thing for God to do. To warn us so that with His help, we can prepare for tough things. To warn us so that we're not taken by surprise when, not if, when tough times hit. And so one way we finish well in Christ is to expect the unexpected when we follow hard after Jesus. 
Today we'll add one final lesson on, on what it means to finish well. We finish well our life and ministry in Christ when we, like Paul, maintain our courage given God's providence. Maintain our courage given God's providence. Now, what do I mean by that? Well, I'm so glad you asked. I like words. No kidding, right? That, um, that word providence is a fascinating word. I really enjoyed wrestling with it this past week. Providence, providence is one of those things most of us, I think, know or we've picked up along the way describes God. If I asked you, well, let me have a show of hands. I will ask you, hey, how many of you believe in God's providence? Okay. And, you know, even the Baptists among us might even shout a hearty amen, right? Let me hear you. Well, those Baptists, what a delightful amen bunch, right? But what if I ask the next question, which, which we many times don't ask, but must ask when we proclaim theological truth statements, when we take the necessary step of asking the next question, and that question is, so what? What does it mean to real life, or, or, or how does that affect me and how I live each and every day? And so if I asked you this morning that question, what does this providence of God that you all said, almost all of you I think, that you all said you believe in and you know, what does God's providence mean to us each moment of every day? Well, many of us, including me, might kind of squint at that question stutter a bit, clear our throats, <clears throat> furrow our brows. Might have a hard time putting, putting God's providence into concrete, real-life context. The other problem we have sometimes with theological words and ideas is they tend to get confused with other theological words and ideas. Those things bleed together, have you noticed? And that only compounds the problem of answering the so what question. Our word providence, for example, sometimes get confused with sovereignty. In pop quiz, compare and contrast God's providence and God's sovereignty. Go. Uh-oh. How would we do on that quiz? I guess, I, I would guess, I would guess that most of us might have a better time describing God's sovereignty than His providence. It's just a hunch. There's no research. It seems to be a more familiar word to, to people. And so if we pass the mic this morning, I won't, but if we pass the mic this morning, I, I bet that together we could come up with, I'll bet we could, the, the key aspects of God's sovereignty. God's sovereignty means God's ownership. There's that color to sovereignty. Everything is His. God's sovereignty means His authority. He has the absolute, unequivocal right to impose His will on everything. And God's sovereignty means God's control. He is indeed alone the master of the universe. So God's sovereignty is His absolute ownership, authority, and control. Now, here's where providence comes in. Finally, I'm getting to it. I know. God's providence 
is what God does with His sovereignty. Sovereignty says God has absolute ownership, authority, and control. And providence describes what God does with His absolute authority and control. Oh, are you with me so far? Are you with me so far on this slightly painful theology lesson this morning? Because if you're not, I'll try again. Say, oh no, please, Pastor, don't try again. Okay. Are you with me? Someone say yes so I can continue. So, if God's providence is what He does with His sovereignty, then the next question, it seems to me, is what does He does? Or what does He do? With his sovereignty and answering what is his providence. You get the book answer first. Here it is. God's providence is the beneficent outworking of God's sovereignty. Whereby all events are directed and disposed to bring about those purposes of glory and good for which the universe was made. Whew! Sounds like a book answer, doesn't it? And it's a good one. The key ingredients are all in there. But let me risk being a little less precise in an attempt to give us a definition that we might actually be able to take with us and hold on to as we leave today. How about this? God's providence is God's working in all things for good. And immediately some of you will cry, hey, you stole that from Romans. And you're right, I did. <laughs> Paul says in Romans 8, 28, And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love Him, who have been called according to His purpose. In all things God works for good. That's God's providence. And one small P.S., I can't resist while this rather famous little verse is on the screen and before us. I, I find this verse is often very misunderstood. I'm going to jump right to the point. This verse does not say, in my strong opinion and many with me, this verse does not say that God uses all things for good. More specifically, it does not say that God takes evil things and makes something good from the evil things. Okay? Instead, it says, and you can see it even more clearly in the original Greek than in the English translation before us, instead it says what this verse does promise is that God is there working good in the midst of everything going on, including evil things, and that's a crucial difference. Let me try and illustrate. Here's where I hear this verse often misquoted or misapplied all the time. It usually goes something like this. Let's say a young couple dies in an accident and they leave three young children behind. Sorry, just to throw that out there. Terrible tragedy. Hypothetical. And in an attempt to comfort these kids, someone might talk about Romans 8.28, which is a great place to go when trouble hits. But, but then they apply the verse this way. So don't be afraid. God will use your parents' death for good. Oh, please. 
don't tell people that. The mom and dad being killed is a terrible tragedy, a terrible evil. And what God promises in Romans 8:28 and all over the Bible, what God promises is that He is there in the midst of our pain, in the midst of the evil, right there next to us. He even shares us our pain. He's there with us in the midst of it all. And what is He doing there with us in the midst of our pain? He's working for our good. He doesn't use evil for good, in my strong opinion. He uses good for good because He is goodness itself. He shows up with us and holds us close and even carries us sometimes when we're going through a rough stretch. Please don't tell those kids or people like them that God's going to do something good with the evil that has hit them. Instead, tell them, assure them, God is there with them in the midst of the tragedy, in the midst of the pain, working for their good. That's Romans 8. 28. And better yet, be yourself God's love and care and goodness to them during those tough times. End of P.S. <laughs> and so we finish well when we maintain our courage given God's providence. When we are courageous through hardships because we know that God is there with us in the midst of them all, working for our good. Now, that's one of those things that's pretty easy to say, but much harder to do. Kind of like, love your neighbor. <laughs> it's easy to say, but it's hard to do. It, it's hard to maintain courage when life is a long, hard road. And brutally hard sometimes, yeah? Consider our hero, the Apostle Paul. He maintained his courage. He kept his courage up despite being thrown into prison repeatedly, despite being flogged by the Jews with 39 lashes five times, and being beaten by the Romans with rods three times. Can you imagine what Paul's back looked like after all that? Paul maintained his courage despite being stoned and left for dead, despite being shipwrecked three times, and after one of those times spending 24 hours floating in the sea. And we haven't even mentioned Paul's thorn in the flesh, his recurring sickness, his deep frustration and hurt when the gospel of Jesus was rejected, especially by his own people, the Jews. Paul's road was indeed long and hard. And yet he maintained his courage in God's providence. How did he do that? How did Paul stay strong through all that and more? After all, Paul was just a man. He wasn't Superman or anything. He's just a guy. And here's the part, one part at least, that encourages me when I think about Paul. He's just a guy. He's a regular person like you or me. And we've looked over the past year 
or two. (laughs) At times when Paul seems to be frustrated and impatient and tired, when the long, hard road looks like it's getting to him. And why would I find that encouraging? Because, boy, can I relate to that. Can you? So how does this regular guy do it? How does he maintain his courage? Have you noticed during our trek through Acts that whenever Paul needed it, God encouraged him? Have you noticed that? God sends a man whose name means the Lord shows grace. God sends Ananias to comfort and to help Paul when he's blind and fasting and devastated after Jesus tells him he's been fighting against God, not for him, by persecuting Christians. God gives Paul Barnabas, whose name means son of encouragement. He gives Paul Luke, a physician, to care for him along the way. And Silas and Timothy and Lydia and Dozens of other close friends and disciples to encourage and to help Paul along his long, hard road. And Paul sees and feels God's constant presence with him as he experiences the power of God through him, as he heals the sick and even raises the boy Eutychus from the dead. How encouraging that must have been. In Corinth, after Paul is especially angry and frustrated over yet another group of Jews rejecting the gospel... Jesus Himself comes to Paul in a vision and says, Do not be afraid. I'm with you. After the frustrating day before the Sanhedrin in Jerusalem, remember, I love how Luke puts it in Acts 23. Luke tells us that Jesus stood near Paul and said, Take courage. And on the ship to Rome, at long last, as the stormy seas tear apart the ship, an angel of the Lord again stood beside Paul and said, Do not be afraid. See, God doesn't only tell us, warn us to expect the unexpected, and then send us alone into the buzzsaw of life. He stands near. He stands beside. He's right there. He's with us, working for good, ceaselessly. And He keeps careful and constant watch over our courage. And when we need to be encouraged, because He's so close and right there with us, He whispers to us in oh so many ways, don't be afraid. I'm I'm right here too. I think that's what helps keep Paul going. He trusts. He knows God's providence. He knows that God is with him through it all, working for good on that long, hard road. Do you? Do we? I got curious this week and did a search throughout the Bible for all the times God said to His people things like, 
Don't be afraid. Do not fear. Be strong. Take courage. I'm sure I missed some of them, different ways to express them. I got to well over 120 times in 66 books of the Bible, almost twice a book on average. I can do simple math at least. And it's way more than that because much of God's encouragement through the text comes in many, many different forms than only words and phrases of encouragement. God's constant whisper in oh so many ways of do not fear, I am right here with you. That's a major fundamental theme in Scripture. Why do you suppose? In part, I think, because God knows just how long and hard the road is. And He knows that we need to hear desperately His reassurance and feel His presence over and over for us to maintain our courage through it all. He needs us to know that He's provident, working for our good in the midst of it all, so that we're able to maintain our courage. The Apostle Peter, man, he's out of the boat and walking on the water with Jesus. What a moment! And do you remember why he begins to sink? The text says, he looked around, I'll paraphrase, at the circumstances, at the long, hard road, storm and wind and waves. He looked at the long, hard road of his circumstances, and he was afraid. And so he began to sink. Instantly, because Jesus literally is standing right there. Pulls him back to his feet. Peter! Why do you doubt? He says. I'm right here with you, working for your good. Don't you trust that? Don't you know that? Joshua and the people of Israel are about to enter the promised land. And God tells Joshua. And then Joshua in turn tells the people. Remember what he tells them? I heard it. Hazak, hazak, venich, hazek. Well, I didn't hear that unless you speak Hebrew. God comes to Joshua and says, Be strong and courageous, Joshua! And guess why? I'm with you, and I will never leave you. God is with us and encourages us on the long, hard road of following Jesus. One last piece. God warns us that following Jesus is a long, hard road, and He encourages us with His providence. That is, we are encouraged when we know He's with us, working for our good, no matter the circumstances. And finally, God promises that nothing on the long, hard road will overwhelm us as long as we stay close to Him. Paul puts it this way in 2 Corinthians 4, We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not abandoned. Struck down even, but not destroyed. That's the Spirit, Paul. Literally the Spirit, Paul. After the service last week, someone came and handed me a quote from one of her friends who is suffering terribly 
for a long time from many different health issues and pain. Her road is long and hard. And her friend told me that this woman in her suffering said that whenever she feels like losing courage and giving up, whenever doubt or despair threaten to overwhelm her, she sticks out her chin and says defiantly, out loud, and she says, I say this out loud to the devil, I will not live a second longer than God wants me to live, and I will not live one second shorter than God wants me to live. That's the Spirit. I've got a video clip that I'd like to show you as we close this morning. Many of you have seen it before, but it's been a while. I don't normally like to show you something more than once, but until I find a better picture of God's providence, you're going to continue to see it from time to time. It's about a father and a son team, Richard and Rick Hoyt. They compete together in marathons and triathlons. Triathlon, 26.2 miles of running, 2.4 miles of swimming, and for dessert, 112 miles of biking. And Richard and Rick do this together as father and son. They run along this long, hard road. Only there's a catch. Rick, the son, can't walk or talk. Because when Rick was born, the cord wrapped around his neck, cutting the oxygen off to his brain. Doctors advised Rick's parents that there was no hope for development. And really that the best thing the family could do was to put Rick away in a home somewhere and just forget about him. That's not what happened. When he was older, Rick was able to communicate through blowing into one of those air-driven computer keyboards. And one time he blew through his tube and tapped out to his dad that he so wished he could run in a race for charity. Now, Rick's dad, Richard, was not a very athletic man. In fact, more like a couch potato. He couldn't even swim. But this father... Loved his son so much, this father was so committed to working for his son's good in the midst of his son's awful circumstances. So in secret, Richard trained. And he trained hard. And then one day, this father gave his son a gift. And Team Hoyt was born. As you watch the video, I invite you to think about the providence of God. Think about how God uses His sovereignty to be with us through hardships, working for our good, and be encouraged. Let's watch. Told the old. 
That's the providence of God. I have been um, especially reminded of the hope of God's providence this past week. What a week. I'm, um, I'm on a long, hard road right now with a dear, dear friend and family. And it's the rough road right now of the sweetest little sister in Christ you can imagine. And if she's listening online this morning, then I want to say to her, don't be afraid. God is with you. And so are we. And I know it's a long, hard road, especially right now, but God is with you and so are we. And my dear girl, I know you are hard-pressed, but God will not let you be crushed. You are confused, I know, and perplexed, but God will not let despair take you. You've been persecuted, I know, but God won't abandon you, and you have been struck down my friend. But God will not let you be destroyed. God promises. And He always keeps His promises. And He's there with you right now in your pain, working with all His might for your good. So be strong and courageous. All of us, my friends, this morning, whatever your long, hard road is or will be, take heart, be strong and courageous, maintain courage given God's providence. Hear again God's own words through the prophet Jeremiah. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. He's here, working for our good. Take courage. Let's pray. Father in heaven, life is a long, hard road. And you give us a choice. We can do the long, hard road of life with or without you. And oh, Father, help us to choose today to stay close to the shepherd on the heels of the rabbi, your son, Jesus. And to choose to do this long, hard road of life with you. Thank you for your promise. And Father, 
Keep your promise to stand near to be with us, working for our good amidst all the chaos, all the circumstances, all the tough things of life. Help us. And help us to see and hear and feel you there doing that so that we will be able to take courage and maintain courage given that providence. And Father, we thank you most of all for the ultimate working our good in the midst of evil circumstances, giving us your Son to die in our place so that we might be with you forever and ever. And all God's people said, Amen. May God bless you, my friends. Have a good week.